All right, everybody. It is Wednesday, March 22nd. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And reread all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, we have a special second podcast today. Right. We're going to drop that podcast this afternoon. I interviewed a psychotherapist, Nero Feliciano, all about mental health specifically teens and their increased rates of depression. I asked her what she thinks is behind it. Not really a surprise, but she thinks it's mostly social media and smartphones. But she gives a ton of really great insight. She talks about what to look for in your child as a potential warning sign of depression and also what to do about it, how we can as a society rein this back in. Um, And then we also talk in general about what makes people happy And it's not what you think if you think it's money and success. An important conversation. I'm so glad we're having on this podcast. So in this episode, you'll get your news fix and then look out for that second episode, a deep dive into all things mental health and your kids. All right, with that, let's get to the headlines. Hundreds of thousands of kids in Los Angeles have no school as custodians, bus drivers, teachers, and other staff go on strike. For the first time in 131 months, home prices year over year are lower. The CEO of TikTok revealing the number of Americans who use the platform and previewing his congressional testimony this week. Trump indictment watch continues. The New York grand jury meets again today. And staying with crimes allegedly committed seven years ago, Gwyneth Paltrow is in court. She is being sued over an alleged hit-and-run ski crash in 2016. Jill, this is the first time I've heard about a hit-and-run ski accident going to court. It's the first time I've ever heard of a hit-and-run ski accident ever. Forget going to court. (laughs) And we are talking food trends. Americans are obsessed with smeals, a.k.a. small meals, also known as snacks. Does everything need a new (laughs) name these days? (laughs) Was snack not good enough? Well, Moshe, I'm not usually ahead of the trends, but in this case, I have been snacking since 94. Jill, we all have. (laughs) And apparently there's some uh, new trends in the world of snacking. Or I guess smeals, if we have to call them that these days. And Mosh has on this day in history. Mosh, what are you working on? A big day in golf history and musical theater, Jill. Let's start in Los Angeles, where there is a massive three-day strike shutting down the Los Angeles school district and leaving about 420,000 students out of school. This strike is not about the teachers. Instead, it is the bus drivers, custodians, special ed assistants, and some of the public school's other lowest paid workers. One of the union leaders said the decision to walk off the job was the last resort after almost a year of bargaining for better pay with no success. The union is demanding a 30% salary increase plus $2 more per hour for the lowest paid employees. The union says the average worker makes about $25,000, and they want to raise that to about $36,000. Congressman Adam Schiff, a Democrat from Burbank, joined the striking workers. He says $25,000 is basically living in poverty right now. For example, an instructional aide, Marley Ostro, she is 67 years old. She was hired nearly two decades ago. She said at the time she made eleven seventy-five an hour, and today she makes about $16 an hour. She says that's not enough to keep pace with inflation and also rising housing prices. And all of the while, her responsibilities have only expanded. She also said one of the reasons that there are so many job vacancies in the district is because the district pays these low wages. She tells the Associated Press there's not even anybody applying because you can make more money starting at Burger King. She says a lot of people really want to help kids and they shouldn't be penalized for wanting that to be their life's work. 
So the teachers union has joined the strike in solidarity here, hence more than a thousand schools across the L.A. area being closed. Some of the striking workers say they know it's a hardship for the parents and the kids, but they say they had no choice. The superintendent of schools there is accusing the union of refusing to negotiate and said that he was prepared to meet any day, any time to end this. He said this is a golden opportunity to make progress that was lost here, saying, quote, I believe this strike could have been avoided, but it cannot be avoided without individuals actually speaking to one another. We should note the union right now is saying they're not going to schedule any talks for the duration of this three-day walkout. In the meantime, that has disrupted learning meal services for many kids who don't get meals at home. More than 400,000 children and their families are impacted here. Right now, this is where the two sides are, Jill. You mentioned they're demanding a 30% increase. The union is on behalf of these workers. This weekend, the latest offer from the district, according to its leaders, was a 23% raise. The package would also include a one-time 3% bonus for those who've been on the job since 2020, 2021, along with expanded hours, more full-time positions, and improved eligibility for healthcare benefits. As you noted, the median income for many of these workers is about $25,000, literally below the level of poverty. And the way that they get scheduled, one of their complaints is that it really prevents them from taking other part-time work because everything is sort of ad hoc. They're looking for more commitments from the district here. In the meantime, this has left many parents in the lurch here trying to work, but also take care of their kids. This is very much a throwback to the COVID days of a couple of years ago. And so while many parents sympathize with the plight of these part-time workers, some of them are also asking the union to please negotiate and not take this full three-day walkout which today hits the halfway point. Speaking of the pandemic, a lot of these workers say, look, we were on the front lines of the pandemic. You know, we did our jobs and it's time that we're not disrespected in terms of pay. And as you were mentioning, just some of these working conditions. Jill, I got a few notes from LA public school teachers over on the Instagram account who uh, were explaining the plight that these part-time workers go through and the need to address what they need financially and also in terms of commitments from the districts. At the same time, you do have parents again here dealing with childcare issues, dealing with food issues. An important stat to be aware of, 80% of students in the LA public schools come from low-income families. So the school system really does play an important role in providing breakfast, lunch, and sometimes dinner to these kids. All right, let's turn quickly to the economy and everyone's favorite topic, the Fed. You know you love it. The Fed wraps up its two-day meeting today. So this afternoon, we're going to find out whether or not the Fed will raise interest rates And by how much? As the Wall Street Journal puts it, Chair Jerome Powell and his colleagues face one of the toughest calls in years, whether to raise interest rates again to fight stubbornly high inflation or take a time out amid the most intense banking crisis since 2008. Most investors still expect a small interest rate hike, maybe 0.25%. There are signs, though, that the rate hikes are starting to work in slowing the economy down, at least when it comes to the housing market. For the first time in 131 months, home prices fell year over year. It puts an end to the longest price growth streak on record. So according to data from the National Association of Realtors, in February of 2023, the median existing home price for all housing types declined 0.2% to 363000 That's compared to 363700 in February of 2022. So prices aren't exactly plunging, but it is a bit of relief for people who are looking for a home. Yes, an ever so slight discount there, Jill, about $700 off the house from last year. 
And this does come as the prices have skyrocketed uh, for a number of years now. So home buyers have been dealing with high mortgage rates and the high prices. But there are some signs that buyers are starting to return to the market. Mortgage prices declined slightly in February. That was down from more than 7% on a 30-year mortgage in the fall. Rates eased to just above 6% in February. So that's a likely contributing factor here to the fact that we saw home sales seeing the largest monthly percentage increase since July 2020. So mortgage prices came down. We saw a increase in the number of sales in February. That's when we saw total existing home sales jump 14.5% month over month from January to February. The chief economist at the National Association of Realtors says home buyers are very conscious of mortgage rates and want to take advantage of any decline. They were quoted as saying, quote, the monthly increase of this magnitude is a rare event. Moreover, we're seeing stronger sales gains in areas where home prices are decreasing and the local economies are adding jobs. Looking at the numbers from last month, properties were remaining on the market for about 34 days overall. That's up slightly from 33 days the previous month. Last year at this time, properties were only on the market for about 18 days before being sold. So just to translate all of those numbers, because I feel like we just threw a lot out there, home prices are down slightly, but sales overall are back up, meaning people are getting back into the market taking advantage of relatively lower mortgage rates. Right. The days of 2 to 3% 30-year mortgages are over, but we peaked over 7%. Now that they're back down to just about 6%, people are feeling like, oh, that's a bit of a deal. So Jill, it appears everything is relative. Back to the news in a minute. But first, a quick break to talk about some of our sponsors, starting with Bowl and Branch. We talk a lot on this podcast about sleep studies and the importance of getting your eight hours. And we are so happy to be partnering with a brand that helps you do just that. You'll wake up feeling rested and refreshed with the softest, most luxurious sheets from Bowl and Branch. I can tell you I've been using their sheets for the past few weeks, and they are so soft and comfortable. They're made with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash, and they've already been bought by millions. Best of all, Bowl & Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. So this is the deal. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That's Bowl & Branch. B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H dot com. The promo code is MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S. Exclusions apply, so see their site for details. And now to Athletic Greens. I've been drinking their AG1 supplement in the mornings. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder, it's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It is easy and quick and lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, it also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving MoNews listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash MoNews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. From Politico, demonstrators who want a Donald Trump indictment outnumbered MAGA supporters Tuesday outside of the Manhattan Criminal Court, where the former president is expected to be charged as early as today. The protesters gathered in front of the building where Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg is investigating Trump over a hush money payment made to Stormy Daniels during the 2016 presidential campaign. 
Just for perspective here, Mosh, there were about 20 pro-indictment protesters and five pro-Trump protesters by Politico's count. Yeah, for all of you seeing pictures out there or video, I thought this was important to add in here. We're literally talking about 25 people in Manhattan, which has about 2 million people in it. It is definitely fair to say that there is a lot more media camped outside of the courthouse yes. than there are protesters. I've seen the images of one protester with like 50 cameras around them. So if you keep seeing the same image, of the same protester, it's literally because there's only a handful so far. But I think that that's a really important point. If all you do is see the five protesters without a wider shot showing that it is literally yeah. just them, you would think that there is this mass presence of protesters there. And I'm not saying that there won't be a huge amount of protesters when and if there's an indictment, but that is not the case right now. Yeah, and we should also keep in mind there are some comedians out there, some people doing impressions, etc. So it's hard to get a good gauge for this, but I think it's fair to say, Jill, as you noted, much more law enforcement, much more media than any sort of civilian protesters. (laughs) Comedians doing impressions. So I'm glad everyone is taking this seriously. Who, Matt Friend? Is that who you're referring to? Well, there's some liberal comedians trying to impersonate (laughs) Trump people to try to convince media that they're Trump people and get across like a certain message. (laughs) So it requires a little digging to figure out the true motivations of some of the people right now who are dressed up in various costumes out there, Joe. Meanwhile, Trump is waiting things out in Florida. A Manhattan grand jury did appear to take an important step forward Monday by hearing from a witness favorable to Trump, presumably so prosecutors can ensure that the panel had a chance to consider any testimony supporting his version of events. The former president has been invited to testify himself, but declined. So the grand jury reconvenes today, and it is still not clear if additional witnesses might be summoned before they make a decision on an indictment. So that witness you mentioned, Jill, who testified on Monday, some analysts believe he was the last witness, but it remains to be seen. He was attorney Robert Costello. He is a longtime ally of Trump. He was reportedly very critical of Michael Cohen. That's the one-time lawyer and fixer for Trump, who a lot of this case is predicated on. Costello described Cohen as totally unreliable, calling him far from solid evidence, and saying that's one of the many reasons they shouldn't make a call here to indict. A quick Cliff's Notes version for everyone who has not been tracking this on a day-by-day basis. This case is based partially on allegations by Cohen. So Cohen used to be a fixer, longtime lawyer, loyalist of Trump. Literally, he would wear the same red ties as Trump for many years. You might see them dressed alike in many photos. So Cohen has actually served prison time over this case. He has evidence, including an audio tape of Trump, which has already been in circulation for a couple of years now, that then candid Trump back in 2016 directed him to pay off porn actress Stormy Daniels to ensure she did not talk publicly about an alleged affair. So this payoff, this hush money payment that Trump told Cohen to pay Stormy is not technically illegal. But then Trump reimbursed Cohen for the hush money payment with a bonus and classified it, the campaign did, as a legal expense. Now, that is misclassifying expenses here, and that is a misdemeanor. And even conservative legal analysts, even pro-Trump people, will admit, yeah, that was definitely inappropriate. That was definitely a crime here, a misdemeanor crime. But most people are not prosecuted for that sort of crime, but they are going political with this. So that's the misdemeanor, the, the misclassified reimbursement. Then doing that creative accounting to get around a campaign finance law, a federal campaign finance law, that's where there's a felony. So basically misclassifying the legal expense, misdemeanor, misclassifying it as legal expense to get around federal law, a potential felony. 
The expectation was that the indictment against Trump could drop as early as Monday evening, but Costello, that final witness, and his testimony could throw a wrench in that timeline if, for example, the grand jury now wants to hear from more people after that testimony. Remember, a grand jury is not like a normal jury. It is convened specifically to determine whether there's enough evidence merely to charge someone with a crime. A grand jury does not find someone guilty or not guilty, but merely makes a decision to indict here. If Trump is charged post-indictment, as is assumed widely here by the preps that are happening, by the leaks that are happening, he would then go through fingerprinting, allegedly there would be a mugshot, and then an eventual trial. This legal case is experimental of sorts, and even some Trump critics and liberals are questioning the decision by the DA, Alvin Bragg, who happens to be a Democrat, in his decision to essentially revive this case, which was essentially dead a couple of years ago, because of the difficulty of convicting Trump here, where you're pushing this misdemeanor charge and trying to force it into a felony charge. And it comes as Republicans are circling the wagons around Trump. Three House Republican committee chairman, including Jim Jordan, sent Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg a letter requesting that he now testify before Congress, quote, about what plainly appears to be a politically motivated prosecutorial decision in any potential indictment they set tomorrow as a deadline for records, even though an indictment isn't even out yet. It is just the beginning, though, not a subpoena, but a request. So expect things to escalate, especially on the House Republican side, where Trump has many loyalists. So again, we are talking about an investigation of an investigation. Of an indictment that hasn't actually happened yet, that's currently secret. But don't let that get in the way of people in Congress trying to get in front of cameras, Joe. More than anything, the Republican line that I've been hearing a lot is really taking an aim at Bragg, who is very progressive, who came in saying that they didn't really want to prosecute low-level crimes. And the argument from a lot of Republicans is here they are spending all of this time on what appears to be this politically motivated indictment against former President Trump when there are real crime issues in New York City that he should be focused on. Yeah, you basically have three sides here. You have Democrats who say Trump's committed a lot of crimes. This was a crime he committed. Get him on it. Then you have Democrats who are like, we don't like Trump. Trump may have committed crimes, but is this really the one to go after him on, especially if you might be found not guilty on? Then you have Republicans, some of whom want to deny he committed any crime, some of whom say, no, he probably committed a crime here. But again, to your point, Jill, why are they going after this particular crime when there's so much other business to manage in New York right now? And it comes in an election year, et cetera, et cetera. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. From Reuters, the U.S. is speeding up the training and delivery of Abrams tanks and Patriot missile defense systems for Ukraine as preparations ramp up for expected heavy fighting this year. The Pentagon's aiming to refurbish existing M1A1 Abrams tank holes in order to get them to Ukraine this fall as opposed to building new tanks that would have been delivered much later. This is according to the Defense Department. Meanwhile, 65 Ukrainians are wrapping up training on Patriot missile systems at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, in the coming days. And the Ukrainian air defenders and two donated Patriot systems will be on the battlefield in a matter of weeks. Jill, this comes as those meetings between Chinese leader Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin continued in Moscow yesterday. On Tuesday, the Chinese leader called for peace talks and responsible dialogue over Ukraine. This is a joint statement with Putin. They also made a point of criticizing Western sanctions against Russia, blamed NATO expansion for the conflict, and made no offer to withdraw invading Russian forces. So this came on the second day of his big state visit. It has underscored so far his close friendship, what they call a no-limits friendship between China and Russia. The two sides have effectively made a point of poking their 
finger in the proverbial eye of the West in the U.S. during this visit. From CNBC, TikTok CEO Shozi Chu appealed directly to the app's users ahead of what's expected to be a heated grilling on Capitol Hill this week in a video posted to the platform yesterday. In the video, Chu emphasized the large scale of TikTok users, small and medium-sized businesses, and its own employees based in the U.S. that rely on the company. He disclosed in the video that TikTok has more than 150 million monthly active users in the U.S., representing massive growth from August of 2020, when it said for the first time that it has about 100 million monthly active users in the U.S. Now, that number includes 5 million businesses that use the app to reach their customers, with most of those being small or medium-sized. He also said TikTok has 7,000 U.S.-based employees. Let's take a listen. Some politicians have started talking about banning TikTok. Now, this could take TikTok away from all 150 million of you. I'll be testifying before Congress later this week to share all that we're doing to protect Americans using the app and deliver on our mission to inspire creativity and to bring joy. So that message that some politicians want to ban us, but we're only here for good and we protect your information is a preview of the message he was likely to bring to Capitol Hill on Thursday. That's where he's going to face questions from legislators about TikTok about its relationship with the Chinese government, about how U.S. user information is collected. So prepare for rhetorical fireworks there on Thursday, Jill. TikTok says it has worked to create a risk mitigation plan to ensure that U.S. data doesn't get into the hands of a foreign adversary through its app. The company has said U.S. user data is already stored outside of China, and Americans should not be worried. But keep in mind, TikTok is owned by parent company ByteDance, a Chinese company, and the way things work in China is the Chinese government can call in companies at any moment and tell them to hand over information. And that's been one of the larger concerns here in the U.S. So lawmakers, intelligence officials remain unconvinced so far that U.S. user information is safe while TikTok is still owned by a Chinese company. TikTok said last week that the U.S. Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., known as CFIUS, you may have heard that term a few times on this podcast, is pushing for TikTok to get itself sold away from ByteDance or face a ban here in the U.S. If you're interested in the backstory of TikTok, The Daily from The New York Times did a really good podcast of just all about TikTok, how it came to be and what the concern is. Um, And of course, I also recommend our special edition that we did with Josh Rogan, uh, where he talked about it as well. From the Associated Press, Gwyneth Paltrow's standing trial for a ski collision that left a man with serious injuries. Paltrow's in court in Utah as that civil trial begins over claims she seriously injured a man in a hit-and-run skiing accident in Utah back in 2016. 76-year-old Terry Sanderson, who's a retired optometrist, is suing Paltrow for about $300,000. He claims the accident in Park City was the result of negligence. In court on Tuesday, Paltrow's attorney said her husband and kids, Apple and Moses, will be testifying. Sanderson says Paltrow violently crashed into him in 2016 while skiing in Utah at one of the most upscale resorts in the U.S. Sanderson said Paltrow was cruising down the slopes so recklessly that they collided leaving him on the ground as she and her entourage continued their descent down Deer Valley Resort. According to the lawsuit, Paltrow, quote, skied out of control, knocking him down hard, knocking him out and causing a brain injury, four broken ribs and other serious injuries. Paltrow got up, turned and skied away, leaving Sanderson stunned, lying in the snow, seriously injured. Sanderson claims the accident was a result of negligence and left him with physical injuries and emotional distress. 
This is one of the few times in celebrity history that we don't have something on videotape, Jill. We could have used TMZ on the slopes there in Park City. At ski resorts, the skier who is downhill officially has the right of way. So a central question in this case is who was further down the beginner's run when the collision transpired? For those of you who know skiing, this was a green, a beginner's run. Both Paltrow and Sanderson claim in court filings that they were further downhill when the other person rammed into them. Sanderson has accused Deer Valley and its employees of engaging in a cover-up by not providing complete information on incident reports and not following resort safety policies. He says she's basically been getting special treatment here. Interestingly, an initial lawsuit he filed for $3.1 million was dropped. He then had to amend his complaint, is now seeking $300,000. Paltrow, for her part, has filed a counterclaim seeking attorney fees and officially $1 in damages. Officially, she clearly doesn't need extra money here. So it's literally a he said, she said here, Jill. She has countered that he was the culprit in the collision, is overstating his injuries, trying to exploit her celebrity and wealth. It's notable here that Sanderson says he previously waited almost three years to file this lawsuit because he couldn't function properly because of a concussion. He also says he had some problems with lawyers. She says, by the way, that Sanderson admitted to her that he didn't have a clear memory of the accident. That's sure to come up in this trial. So we'll see how this all goes down these next couple of days. From Axios, fun foods proliferate as Americans snack more than ever. Miniature Twinkies, Cocoa Puffs popcorn, Dr. Pepper flavored cotton candy. Yum. (laughs) Food manufacturers know Americans are snacking more and they are busy pumping out new snack foods. An explosion of new products is generating buzz and profits for food makers, delighting shoppers, but also likely helping to make Americans unhealthier than ever. A bevy of new reports on U.S. eating habits conclude that snacking rose steeply during the pandemic and has continued. Research shows that the landscape of eating has fundamentally changed. Eating occasions have become slightly more evenly spread out throughout the day, shifting consumption away from mealtimes. So, Mosh, I'll translate that for everyone out there. It basically means people are snacking all day long. Nestle is actually using the term smeals to refer to small meals or sizable snacks that fit modern consumption habits. I'm not sure I'm going to be using smeals anytime soon. Jill, it doesn't sound right. I think I'm going to stick with snacks. Despite what the folks at Nestle say, sales of snacks rose about 12% in 2022 and continue to grow. Candy and chocolate sales were up 11% last year. The so-called snack mania is fueling product development at all the big companies, Kellogg, Mondelez, Pepsi, Hostess, Kraft Heinz, And there are a bunch of trends out there. One of them is miniatures. Frito-Lay is introducing fun-sized versions of Doritos, Cheetos, and Sun Chips. Hostess apparently also introducing bite-sized Twinkies, Ding Dongs, and Donuts. Is that little donuts? If it is, they're already mini. Why? (laughs) Those are not small enough. (laughs) If you're in marketing, you've got to come up with a new name. One of the other trends, Jill, heat is hot, as in super spicy. Then you have co-branded items like Reese's Dip Animal Crackers and Cinnamon Toast Crunch Bugles. And then there's one of my favorites, Breakfast is All Day. Cereals are morphing into round-the-clock snacks with products like Cinefuego Toast Crunch Snack Mix, cereal-flavored popcorns, and Lucky Charms S'mores. And apparently Kraft is working on grilled cheesies, a grilled cheese sandwich made with Kraft singles that kids or adults can microwave for 60 seconds. It will debut later this year. 
The thing about grilled cheese, though, is that it's pretty easy to make now. I mean, I'm I'm not a great cook, uh, but even I can throw some craft singles on two pieces of bread. But can you do it in 60 seconds or less, Joel? <laughs> Good point. From NPR, a 90-year-old tortoise named Mr. Pickles just became a father of three, and it is a big dill, pun intended. Nobody ever said, Moshe, that turtles work quickly. And though it took him nearly a century, the 90-year-old radiated tortoise known as Mr. Pickles is finally a dad. The Houston Zoo announced on Thursday that he and his partner, 53-year-old Mrs. Pickles, recently welcomed three tortoise hatchlings. (laughs) I love these names. Dill, Gherkin, and Jalapeno. The births are a big dill, says the zoo, because the radiated tortoise, native to Madagascar, is a critically endangered species whose numbers are in decline. Jill, it may have taken a while, but at 90 years old, he's only middle-aged. Some tortoises live upwards of 200 years, though this particular species of them produce few offspring, and unfortunately are endangered. They suffer from the overcollection for illegal sales on the black market, and there's concern that these reptiles could go extinct in the wild. According to zoo officials there, this first-time father, Mr. Pickles, is considered the most genetically valuable radiated tortoise in their overall survival plan. One of the Pickles babies, I don't know whether it is dill, gherkin, or jalapeno, is still at the Houston Zoo after being hatched. At some point, they will reunite them with the parents. And by the way, Mr. and Mrs. Pickles waited just under 30 years to have these hatchlings. They first met back in 1996, and it was only by chance that one of the keepers at the zoo saw Mrs. Pickles laying her eggs one recent day at closing time. Officials say otherwise the eggs likely would not have hatched on their own because Houston soil is not hospitable to these Madagascar native tortoises. So it was great that the zookeeper was able to spot these eggs and put them in an environment where they could hatch. And most rumor has it that Mr. Pickles is actually starting a change.org petition because he feels like no one takes him seriously with a name like Mr. Pickles. But there's also Mrs. Pickles, so ostensibly she would have a say in this. And now that the kids have been named Dill, Gherkin, and Jalapeno, I think they're going to have to stick with Pickles (laughs) for the next century this guy lives. All right, Jill, now time for On This Day in History on this March 22nd. We're going to begin in 1934 with the first ever Masters Golf Championship. It started today 89 years ago in Augusta, Georgia, as Jim Nance calls it, a tradition unlike any other. This year's Masters Tournament, it continues, starts on April 6th, just next month. Okay, we now go to 1935, the next year on a completely different wavelength. On this day in 1935, the leader of Iran, the Shah at the time, requested that the rest of the world stop calling the country Persia and start calling them Iran, the name for the country in Farsi. The name Persia was actually derived from the Greek language for a region in southwestern Iran, was used for thousands of years. Finally, in 1935, the leader is like, stop calling us Persia. We are Iran. These days, Iran is used predominantly in reference to the nation state, the government itself, while the longstanding cultural exports from that country, like food, art, and literature, still referred to as Persian. By the way, a happy no ruse to everyone who celebrates. The Persian New Year was marked this week, and so a happy one to all of you who celebrate. All right, Jill, I know your husband doesn't love this segment, <laughs> but but there's a couple big birthdays. No, he today. loves on this day. He just doesn't love the birthdays. Well, Michael, you can fast forward about 30 seconds then because you're getting a couple birthdays today. William Shatner, Captain Kirk himself, is 92 years old today. Andrew Lloyd Webber, the composer and playwright, is 75. And Reese Witherspoon turns 47 today. 
By the way, Jill, I was looking at Weber and how pro- prolific he was, also mainly because I heard a lot of Android Weber as a kid because my mom played it in our minivan as she drove us to school. He wrote Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Jesus Christ Superstar, and Evita all in his 20s, and then followed up in his 30s with Cats, Starlight Express, and Phantom of the Opera. Pretty prolific stuff. He's now in his sixth decade, and his most recent project now is he's involved in the music at King Charles's coronation this spring. Moj, not only do we wish that we had video of the ski accident with Gwyneth Paltrow, I would love video of a young Moj and the rest of the Wanunus cruising around Chicago in their minivan, blasting Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, and maybe some Cats and Phantom. Jill, to this day, I still remember Donny Osmond playing Joseph in Chicago in the early 90s. By the way, Donny Osmond, a follower of the Mo News Instagram account. Well, Donny, if you are listening, uh, much appreciated. And we'll end here with a bit of musical history. On this day, 43 years ago, Pink Floyd reached number one on the Billboard charts with another Brick in the Wall Part 2, the one that many of us are familiar with. We don't need no education. I'm not trying to hang you out to dry, Mosh. I'm just not the biggest Pink Floyd fan. Yeah. (laughs) And also this week, a bit of Nickelodeon history for the younger Gen Xers, Xennials, and older Millennials. Clarissa Explains It All premiered on Nick 32 years ago this week. All right, Mosh, that is a wrap. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. We are quickly approaching a thousand five-star reviews on the Apple Podcast app. So if you can take a moment and review us there, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Don't forget to follow us also over on Instagram at the Mo News Instagram account at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H. We got a lot of coverage coming the next couple of days, Jill, potential indictment, the TikTok hearings on Capitol Hill, the Fed interest rate hike. So there's going to be a lot of uh, breaking news in the coming days. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.